Welcome to New Mexico in Focus, the podcast for Monday, January 30th, 2023. I'm Lou DeVizio. I hope everyone had a good weekend. It's starting to warm up a, a bit. I stress a bit, but at least we're getting some consistent sun in the Albuquerque area. That's all I've wanted. Just a little bit of vitamin D, get back to feeling good. Anyways, I hope you caught our show Friday night on NMPBS. We had a pretty unique inside look at a new bipartisan effort to address public safety. We'll get into that in about five minutes here on the podcast with comments from the governor. But if you want to hear from other lawmakers and Albuquerque Police Chief Harold Medina on how the legislature could help impact crime around the state, head to the New Mexico and Focus YouTube page and check out our coverage. Otherwise, it's time for some headlines impacting New Mexicans right now. New Mexico's third public education secretary in four years is stepping down. Kurt Steinhaus joined the administration in 2021, and according to reported from the Albuquerque Journal, his last day of work was Friday. Steinhaus made the announcement saying that he wants to focus more time on his family and health. Three other high-level officials outside the cabinet also announced their departures in the last 10 days. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham acknowledged Steinhaus' resignation in a written statement, saying that he is leaving public education in a better place and he deserves a happy retirement. Steinhaus is a retired Los Alamos Schools superintendent who oversaw the implementation of new social studies standards and helped lead the state's response in the 2018 Yazzie Martinez court ruling that found New Mexico was violating the rights of some students by failing to provide an adequate public education. Coming up Friday on New Mexico in Focus, correspondent Russell Contreras sits down with the president and general counsel of the Mexican-American Legal Defense and Educational Fund. That's the firm representing Luis Martinez, one of the lead plaintiffs in the Yazzie Martinez case. You won't want to miss that update on the response to the ruling. That's Friday night at 7 on NMPBS. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham is formally endorsing a bill to give $750 to every New Mexico taxpayer. The governor is supporting Senate Bill 10, which sends those one-time $750 payments to individual taxpayers and $1,500 payments to those filing jointly. If passed, those payments would go out to as many as 875,000 New Mexico tax filers in the summer. There is no specific date set for those rebate payments to go out. Innocent until proven guilty. That's what New Mexico's top judicial official is urging state lawmakers to remember as they consider changes to the state's pretrial detention policies. Supreme Court Chief Justice C. Shannon Bacon delivered a State of the Judiciary speech to a joint session of the legislature last week. It's the first time she's done so in several years. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham says that she and several legislators from both parties support changes that would keep more criminal defendants in jail while awaiting trial. But several notable Democrats, including Senate Majority Leader Peter Wirth, say they're opposed to a major expansion of pretrial detentions. Gene Grant and the Line Opinion Panel debate the merits of our current system coming up in about 20 minutes here on New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. As politicians in the Roundhouse maneuver their way through the first few weeks of this 60-day session, public safety has become a flashpoint issue. Last week, the governor held a press conference in her office to highlight what appears to be a truly bipartisan effort on several key public safety fronts. We were inside the governor's office when she delivered her comments, while seated between Senate Majority Leader Peter Wirth, House Speaker Javier Martinez, and Republican Minority Leader in the House, Representative T. Ryan Lane. On our show Friday night, you saw excerpts from that press conference with comments from each of those leaders. 
Today on the podcast, you'll hear every word from the governor as she introduced the bipartisan group and promised action. Uh, so I want to welcome the press, uh, the, and I want to welcome our business leaders, our incredible legislative leaders, and I want to open it up uh, with, it is clear that tackling public safety issues from every perspective has been a chief priority of every legislature in every legislative session for as long as I can remember. The details of that shift and the issues that we are called to address change. That is also clear. This administration has been working on mostly, but not entirely, making sure that the criminal enhancements, that the high-risk criminal aspects get dealt with in our public safety effort, but been doing all of the upfront investments to make sure that we have healthier, stronger, resilient families, and we're dealing with uh, making sure that poverty isn't our enemy as we look to gain ground in public safety. That has also been a bipartisan effort by this legislature uh, since uh, I was elected in 2018 and began serving in 2019. And I think far too often that that gets lost, that if we don't agree on every single thing in exactly the way it's presented by every single policymaker or advocate, that somehow this body and this governor aren't working together to make New Mexicans safer in their homes, schools, and communities. That's just not true. And I think this incredible group of leaders is evidence by far of that. And this is just who we could fit in the room. Now, I've proposed seven significant pieces of legislation, and you're going to hear about others today, that independently are being offered. Two, the legislators are going to speak to those issues. They're carrying them, and we're grateful. Three, not every single person in this room agrees with every single effort by any number of these bills. Typically, when we all come together, that's what we're not trying to present. We're trying to show that we're all together, we have a plan, uh, the Democratic leadership, I'll be a little partisan, sir. Uh, uh, we got it, we got the votes, we're going. We are building a public safety investment strategy for the short term and the long term in the state. That's gonna take every single one of us every single day in a number of ways, and we're gonna work collectively to get as many of the best ideas up here as possible. And my goal is to be in a position to sign as many of these efforts as possible. And uh, that takes a lot of work to get us all to a place where we're confident about speaking about a larger package, but we may not agree on every single aspect of a particular set of public safety bills. So if one of the questions is, how am I going to convince one person or another, you're happy and I'm happy to receive that question, but we're going to keep working together. Our focus is on doing more in public safety, and that will get realized in this session, and I think uh, the majority and the minority leadership will tell you exactly the same. Much of that is going to get done in this legislative session. Two. As, a, as an elected leader, as a parent, as a longtime native New Mexican, I am hurt personally, intellectually, and emotionally about what is occurring around the world, in our country, and more specifically what's happening in my backyard. 
No New Mexican, no mother or father, no grandparent should be worried about what the day looks like when their child goes to school. Nobody should be fearful about going to their workplace. Uh, we started our workplace a little bit late this morning because we went to yet another break-in to one of our state buildings. Every day, everywhere, somebody is experiencing a public safety or crime issue in every single corner of our state. Not only is it untenable, it's unacceptable, and we are all now taking that, not only from a policy perspective, there isn't anybody in this room who doesn't take that personally. Now, the chief of the state police is so tall, no matter where he sits, he just, I see him. <laughs> he also knows, and so does the deputy secretary and secretary of the Department of Public Safety, our first responders and our police officers are not safe in this climate, straight up. And yet we're asking them to do more with less in many contexts around the state. And I say that while also saying at the same time, this legislature by far than any other state in the country has done more about investing in a public safety infrastructure. And when you look at the per capita numbers, there's just no comparison anywhere in the country. So that is also a bipartisan issue that sometimes gets lost. But if we're making all those investments and it still isn't better, we must do more. Lastly, on that front, I'm going to ask you to keep doing more on the roots, more behavioral health, more work in housing. And that was all in the state of the state, and you're already seeing our budget requests, and they have their own legislative priorities in all of those areas. In 2023, in a brand new year, we're already reeling from incredible mass shootings all around the country and three in just the last few weeks in California alone. We're not gonna immediately, I don't think, come to an agreement on every gun violence measure that I think can make the difference. But I can't sleep at night unless I know that I am asking for every single opportunity. And I'll bet many of you have been in this debate, I was in this debate and then I will end, when I was in Congress over and over again. And I know that we use, and probably shouldn't, that thoughts and prayers are never enough. Thoughts and prayers are always welcome. People need that emotional support. But it is not an action plan. We have had mass shootings in this state, and we readily forget about them. We should not. And the notion that those risks aren't real here is flat wrong. And the fact that you can convert a firearm and that they're readily available, and that weapons of war have no place in the day-to-day -day work of our society is an issue we have to debate vigorously and figure out a path forward. You know, I chose those words very specifically. Discourse and debate are good tools to solve problems. And I'm gonna work hard to get as many people on board with any number of those issues as we can. But I want you to think about all the families and children at work and at school who worry every day about their safety, and we can do more. And now I promise this is the last. This may be the most robust group of leaders ever thinking about ways to tackle this issue by making it not about crime, 
but about a public safety environment that wins the day, that makes a difference in every aspect of our society and for every opportunity. And to that end, I also want to announce today that I am creating a business, because businesses are reeling from the public safety issues in any number of ways, that I want to be in an environment where good ideas happen all the time in the same way the legislature garners good ideas and debates issues all year long. We make those final decisions during the sessions, but they work on these issues all year long. So today we have the chair of the brand new formulated Business Public Safety Council. And I just asked Steve Chavis to stand for a moment. He's agreed to chair that council. Uh, many of you know him as a business and developer and probably most known today for maybe Mesa del Sol. But he's been doing a lot of work for the Hispano Chamber and related business organizations. I know Rob Black is also here. He will tell you that public safety is one of the number one issues. We're looking at a bill that deals with retail crime, uh, which uh, is a bill we like a ton and part of the seven and uh, you're gonna get a call from us and we'd like you to think about participating on this council it'll be statewide folks representing these issues every single minute we can and working on real-life solutions including how well the ideas that we get done during the legislative session get uh, get passed and signed how well they're working in day-to-day -day life and the impacts that we're having so that we make our families and businesses more secure and safer in the state of New Mexico. So I want to thank you for your leadership and probably the worst way to appoint someone is to invite him to a press conference. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Steve New, Rob Black, surprise. <laughs> um, and if folks have ideas about that, please give them uh, to uh, uh, my uh, folks here, uh, me directly, or to Mr. Chavez. But the, the point that I wanted to end with, and it's done, is that this isn't a one-off. It's not a one-session issue. It is an everyday thing that we have to work on both sides until the middle is where it ought to be. So again, I want to thank the uh, district attorneys in the room. I want to thank members of law enforcement in the room. I want to thank the advocates uh, for reducing gun violence in the room. I want to thank folks who are supporting businesses, who are advocates in that context in the room. And most importantly, uh, I want to thank the legislators who will do all of the heavy lifting during the session on each of these issues. You can watch and listen to comments from some of the other policymakers in the room, including Speaker Javier Martinez and House Minority Leader T. Ryan Lane. Those are all online right now on the New Mexico in Focus YouTube page. Now, our political correspondent Gwyneth Dolan was in the room during that press conference, and she caught up with some of the other representatives sitting around the table with the governor. That includes Representative Pamela Herndon from Bernalillo County, who recently introduced a bill that would create new penalties if a child is allowed access to a firearm. Representative Herndon is passionate about the safe storage bill and talked about it with Gwyneth this past week. Representative Herndon, you've got a bill aimed at protecting children from guns. How does it work? So what happens, we want to make sure that every single gun owner stores their gun safely so that a child cannot access it. And if a child accesses a gun and they cause a great bodily harm or death to someone, then we're asking for a fourth degree penalty to be assessed against that person. But if they simply, the child accesses the gun but doesn't cause great bodily harm or death, then we're saying 
there should be a misdemeanor because you have a responsibility to keep those guns stored safely. Now the criticism that we've heard about this is that it would make criminals of law-abiding citizens. Is that a valid criticism? That is not a valid criticism. What we're doing, we're saying it's your gun, it's your responsibility. Keep it out of the hands of children. And that is not making a criminal out of you because you're a law-abiding citizen. It is asking you to be responsible for the gun that you've decided to have. Now some people say, you know, gun safes are expensive, uh, these other mechanisms are difficult. It, it, how hard would it be to comply with this? It is not going to be hard at all. As a matter of fact, after this bill passes, what I'm doing is joining with a man by the name of Angel Garcia with the city of Albuquerque. We are going around all 33 counties and we're going to give out free gun lots to every single person who comes to our gun safety class. And you seem confident that this is going to pass? Do you have the numbers to do it? I am confident this is going to pass because people are ready to make sure that gun owners are responsible and are keeping their children safe. Thank you to Representative Herndon for speaking with us. The governor's attempts at bipartisan action on several of these public safety items isn't being received by everyone in the legislature. Gwyneth tracked down Senate Minority Leader Gregory Baca to get his opinion on some of the legislation that's being proposed. Senator Baca, the Democrats this week are pushing a suite of gun proposals they say will help reduce violent crime. How would you approach the crime problem New Mexicans are experiencing right now? You know, we have laws on the books right now that just aren't being enforced. Um, I think we go back to the existing law, we enforce those on the books, and I think that's our safest bet right now. I think uh, one of the things, it's, it's uh, interesting that you chose this location um, for, for this interview, but we're surrounded by the Constitution. And in that Constitution, it outlines the gun provisions and our, our lawful right to bear arms. And I think that I have some serious, and I believe many members have some serious concerns with the bills coming forward and whether or not they are constitutional and can, can uh, move past that scrutiny. And, and I just have serious doubts about that right now. Now, violent crime is one issue, but uh, you know, part of their argument is that the Department of Health says we have an 81% higher rate of kids killed by guns here in New Mexico. How are we supposed to respond to that problem? You know, um, often we hear these types of arguments tugging at the heartstrings, focusing on one area. Um, we're, we're all for child safety, and I think everybody can get behind that. There's always a balance in public policy, though, um, whether or not, uh, you know, are we going to enact laws that severely restrict people or are we going to keep people safe? I think we have that balance now. The last thing that we want to do is go after law-abiding citizens and make them felons or criminals by enacting a statute that, frankly, um, is, is just unconstitutional. We've seen an unfortunate uptick in mass shootings just in the past week. Uh, we've been very fortunate here in New Mexico to not uh, have these issues here recently, but is there something we can do to prevent the kinds of things that we're seeing in California right now? You know, those are really deep societal issues that I think we need to get into. Things like um, like reinforcing the nuclear family and education and those types of things. What we have um, is, is answers that really um, just restrict law-abiding citizens. If I'm a felon out on the street and 
I have a criminal justice system in the state of New Mexico that frankly I just laugh at because they're going to let me out of jail. Um, I'm not going to obey those anyway. I'm going to keep my gun and guess who's going to turn in all their guns and restrict their magazines and um, abide by the law, the regular citizen. You and I um, and the public at large, um, we're going to be the people that obey those laws. Felons are going to continue about their business, criminals are going to continue about their business, and that's what makes these types of laws ineffectual. We've had some high-profile shootings recently that involved guns that were bought illegally. Mm -hmm. Is there anything more we can do to get these illegal guns, not the responsible gun owners, but these illegal guns off the street? See, and I think you're referring to laws on the books again, um, laws on the books. And though, unlike the laws that we're looking at now, those impact criminals and felons. They shouldn't have those weapons anyway. And if they're stolen, well, they're, then they're in violation of a separate law by having stolen proper property. And so that's what we need to go after there, is we need to go after those types of um, situations rather than everyday folks minding their own business, enjoying their constitutional right that's outlawed, that, that is outlined in our constitution here in New Mexico as hunting, fishing, defense, I mean hunting, defense, and any lawful purpose. Um, that's what it says. You know, as long as you're carrying on about your business lawfully, you should be unbothered. Thank you to Senator Baca, Representative Herndon, and of course, Gwyneth. She'll be up at the Roundhouse each week during session, gathering reaction and perspective on key issues making their way through the Capitol. So stay with New Mexico in focus throughout the next two months for coverage that you won't find anywhere else during session. Now, during the governor's comments on public safety, you heard her mention the state's pretrial detention process. This has been a hot topic for more than a year now, with buzzwords like catch and release being thrown around during election season, too. Our line opinion panelists from this past week got into that debate on the show Friday. But before I introduce them, a quick disclaimer on something that comes up a lot during their conversation. You'll hear the panelists mention something called the Arnold Tool. It's a method of calculating the likelihood of a defendant showing up to court and or committing a new crime if released while awaiting trial. Now, keeping that in mind, let's toss things over to our panelists for the week. First, it's Rebecca Latham, former New Mexico Cabinet Secretary and current CEO of Girl Scouts of New Mexico. Then we have TJ Trout, radio host for KKOB. And finally, Andy Lyman, reporter for the Santa Fe Reporter. Here's Gene and the group. Now, the governor brought up the state's pretrial detention process. It's been debated for more than a year now, but there doesn't seem to be, Andy, a consensus on how to move forward the high-profile shooting scheme targeting lawmakers pushed the conversation back into the headlines this week after, you know, after a judge decided to hold that suspect in that case in custody until trial. And State Senator Joseph Cervantes, I should ask from, add from Las Cruces, says that evidence that judges already have the discretion they need to hold defendants in jail when it's appropriate as they wait trial starting broadly. Andy, do you agree with this, the senator? I mean, he has a, a bit of a point here. There's a reason other people are pushing for this. Where's the middle ground here? I mean, I think he brings up a good point about the, the, the Arnold tool, which right. is um, not necessarily designed to say should or shouldn't they stay uh, Explain the Arnold tool if you would. So, so yeah, it's, it's a tool yeah. that the uh, Supreme Court came up, state Supreme Court came up with to, to say when we did this bail reform, it was a big constitutional amendment. Mm -hmm. um, and they added this tool that's sort of just to, to gauge of how dangerous this person is, right? How right. much how much supervision they should have. Right. But the ultimate decision is always up to the judge. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that says they have to, you know, they, if the, and uh, look at the Solomon Pena case, 
Um, you know, it didn't say this guy should be released. It said if he's released, this is the level of supervision he should have. Mm -hmm. You know, Rebecca, Senator Cervantes, I mentioned, vocally opposed to one specific idea, legislation that would create a rebuttable presumption of dangerousness for defendants charged with certain violent crimes. That means defendants would have to prove they aren't a danger in order to be released ahead of trial. Um, any dangers in your gut about that philosophy that jumped to the surface? Uh, about, about him uh, not wanting to entertain the idea of rebuttable presumption yeah. again? I, I mean, I think... I mean, to go back to the Arnold tool, I think it's deeply flawed. I think the intent to have it was, was good. I, I appreciate that Senator Cervantes is acknowledging that it has many faults. Sure. Uh, I didn't even know until the Solomon Pena case that, uh, that judges did have the um, ability. I thought it was like, okay, well, you plug these numbers mm -hmm. in, boop, 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 boop. Like, mm -hmm. it's going to tell you, like, put, put in jail or let back out. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I think... Personally, I'm still a big fan of if you're in jail in the first place, it is your responsibility to, to prove what, that you're not a flight risk, that you're not a danger to society. I know that that is not fair in every case, but in Albuquerque and in New Mexico, when even the governor and the leaders of the Democratic Party are saying crime is the most important thing on everybody's mind, I think we have to step back, get off of the soapbox we were on last session about like, no, we are not going to entertain rebuttable presumption. Like, do it. Just right. get it done for the right. people because we are sick and tired of right. being victims. That, pick up on that. Yeah. People want something of done course. about crime yeah. here. See, one of the questions uh, yeah. that should be a part of the Arnold tool, by the way, I think they should change the name of that. <laughs> but uh, one of the questions I think should be, your ability to use a saw to saw your ankle monitor off. <laughs> what, what is the propensity of you right. going to be doing that when you get out? Look, they call judges judges for a reason because they're supposed to be smart. They're supposed to be able to make uh, conscious, rational decisions mm -hmm. on what to do with our, our, our accused criminals and our criminals. And so they should have the power to, to make that decision. The Arnold tool is a tool. That's all it is. It is not the end all of, of, of the, how the decision should be made and I think and I agree with uh, Rebecca I think it's seriously flawed because I was thinking just for instance say somebody's been a boy scout their entire life or a girl scout their entire life you know they've given to charity upstanding citizen um, you know participated in the community and then one day they snap pick up an AR and they go shoot up a, a big box store not a girl scout not a girl, a girl scout would never do that right maybe a boy scout. but what, what, what I'm saying is none of that might register Register on the Arnold tool because this person has a has a a, 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 a pure as the driven snow history, but it didn't show up. I think that's why it's flawed. I mean, I, I may I may be misconstruing the Arnold tool. No, I, to think, here, but. I think though, as I understand it, as explained to me by Raul Torres, not to me personally, I was yeah. I was listening to him speak, that you know one of the big one of the big indicators is if you've been convicted of a gun crime right. yeah. then it's like three points That's if right. you were never convicted because your case never went to trial because the the uh, prosecutor never got their poop in a group to get you to trial like it, then then yeah. you ne you've never been convicted therefore right. you get a zero on the danger okay, scale yes it's wow. it, so that conviction part i think and again this is how i understand it right. but th it's the logic uh of um that, that it's it's flawed. Yeah. Andy, a little uh, related idea, this idea of uh, bail reform. 
Senate Majority Leader Peter Wirth, one of several Democrats, opposed to major bail reform changes without their support. Does the governor have a, a chance here? I mean, she really has laid out a lot of changes she wants to see on this side. I mean, it's it's going to be tough. Yeah. There's um, lots of, uh, or a good a good number of um, lawmakers that kind of are, are going off of the constant, basically constitution, right. saying um, it, it is up to the prosecutors of the state to prove the dangerousness, to, to it's, it's, it shouldn't necessarily, I mean, based on the Constitution, it's not up to the defendant to prove that they didn't do it, right? It's the state's job to prove that they did. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, I forget, and this quote, uh, and I'm gonna butcher it, but it's uh, been repeated over and over again. You can attribute it to lots of different people, but this idea that uh, it's better to uh, let an, a guilty person go than lock up an innocent person, right? And so it's sort of, <clears throat> I think it's based on the Constitution, and I think there's a lot of criminal justice lawyers in the, the legislature, as well as people that are just, that have that mind that yeah. uh, they're gonna sort of really question that. Peter Worth told me specifically when I interviewed him that he said, uh, you know, uh, he, he said uh, on a number of things, never say never, but you know, that he's really got to look at this and do a, a hard look at this. And, right. and so, yeah, I think it's going to be hard for the governor to get Interesting, you, you, I appreciate the amount of detail there, Andy, because uh, for TJ, quote from Senator Worth right here, there's a number of things on the crime front we need to do. I don't support adding new presumptions that I think would result in thousands of people being held that don't need to be held, end quote. Is that a reasonable fear from the senator? <sighs> Sure. Yeah. It's also a reasonable fear that uh, a lot of us live our lives in danger walking down Central Avenue downtown at night, too. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's why we have to reach some kind of a happy medium here. I'm going to say one more thing Please. about the Ar Arnold tool, mm -hmm. because I've talked to current serving judges and retired judges about this. And uh, both of them have said you, you can't rely solely on the Arnold tool. And if you are, as a judge, relying solely on the Arnold tool to make your decisions, you're being extremely lazy. Wow. This is not me. This is judges saying this. Yeah. Interesting. I, you know, are we going to get another look at the Arnold tool? You never know in this <laughs> session. I mean, these high-profile cases unleash yeah. things like this, and we get a harder look. But for Senator Worth to say thousands of people, I mean, is right. that accurate? Is right. New Mexico so dangerous now right. that we have thousands of people that mm -hmm. could potentially be held uh, uh, when they shouldn't be? I mean, I think we have, without a doubt, we have seen um, homicides as a result of someone who should have been uh, being held until until their hearing, who were they were let out because the judge deferred to the Arnold tool, and then in that case, you know, they commit a very dangerous crime, killing someone. Right. So what That's you know, like if I get the better to release a guilty party than to hold mm -hmm. an innocent one, but what about what about the people who are then harmed? I, it's just I it's I don't envy them. I have my opinions, right. but I don't envy It's a hard one. Andy, let's finish up with you on this. Uh, let's not forget the bill creating a rebuttable presumption, uh, a presumption failed in the legislature last year. And I'm curious why uh, are the dynamics that different to give it a better chance this year? I, I'm, I'm not quite seeing it. I'm curious yeah, what you're I, I, I'm not quite sure either yeah. uh, exactly. I mean, well, on the other hand, legislation that passes more often than not has been through numerous times, right? right. I mean, there's a, a another philosophical idea of, of laws is that, or bills is that it's not gonna be the best if you pass it right away. Sometimes right. you have to sort of present it to these lawmakers over and over again and, mm -hmm. and maybe make some tweaks every year. We saw the same thing with cannabis legalization, right? It changed, changed so many times by the time we finally got it because it just takes a long time for people to sort of come on board. That's the perspective yep. we're looking for.
Thanks to Gene and the panel. In our final segment of the podcast this week, Gene and our panelists take up another issue we've been following closely the last few months, modernizing the state legislature. We've talked about the possibility of paying lawmakers, lengthening sessions, and adding full-time staff. But what about term limits? Here's Gene. We've told you about the recent poll released by Common Cause New Mexico showing a majority of voters in New Mexico support changes like lengthening sessions, growing legislative staffs, and paying lawmakers, believe it or not. Now a new bill is proposing term limits for state senators and representatives. There are a few schools of thought on this, certainly. Those, there are those who feel incumbents have a firm advantage in our system without term limits and that adding them inherently creates a better representation. But there's also an argument that if and when a community finds a leader who represents their interests, term limits will eventually force them out earlier than they might want. Now, recognizing this, TJ, a lot of nuance here. Do you think term limits, uh, just frankly, are a good idea for New Mexico as they are proposed? Or, and I should say, the, prop the pro proposal here is yeah. to increase senator terms from four to six years, right. representative terms from two to four years, but make them capped at three years concurrently. I was, think, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, how do I make, this a, how do I make this a non-political issue? Okay. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm, so I'm thinking of this just from my heart. Okay. <laughs> so number one, if you increase it to the six years in three terms, that's 18 years. That's a generational thing anyway. I mean, if you're in, you're in for a generation of people. Right. And, and actually, even the three, four-year terms is a long time. So I, I think the question comes down to whether or not you trust us, the people, to be able to keep coming up with, uh, with, with new people who want to perform public service? Mm -hmm. And is it a benefit to the state to uh, offer that to us to be able to uh, have more people, make it easier for them to perform public service mm -hmm. and not have to worry about somebody who's been entrenched in there forever. And I understand the argument being some of these people who are entrenched are very good at what they do. But does that mean that there are other people out there who are not? Right. And I understand where the GOP at this point will think, well, yeah, we want to get rid of some of these people, sure. right? And so, the, the, so we, yeah, turn limits, hoo -hoo, let's do this yeah. and let's get some new blood in there. So... I speak specifically, Rebecca, of Senator Craig Brandt uh, from Rio Rancho. He's the one pushing this, uh, uh, it's not a bill, it's a more of a, a discussion point memorial to kind of get th things going. Um, he says it would allow for fresh ideas and more representation closer to the people. I'm not sure what he means about that. Do you know what he's talking about when he says representation closer to the people? Well, I think as you see this, um, this this swell of uh, progressive candidates in particular are really running on the fact that they are of the people, they are, you know. So the Republican Party really has to do something to counter that as well. I think, you know, to the point of, you know, 12 years, 18 years, we've got legislators that have been in there. I think Bobby Gonzalez has been in there for over 30 years. Um, and he's amazing. I don't, sure. I'm, he's awesome. But um, I, I think, uh, giving them a longer pipeline, you know, term, lim term limits, if you're doing your job, give, give, that's the time to, time to, to cultivate new candidates. Right. I think though it has to go hand in hand with salarying them. That is, and ah. I have, con I've done a full 180 on this over the years. Um, I used to think that, uh, that the people that you want in government are the people who want it so bad, they're willing to do it for free. Well, now I realize if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. That's right. Like what we have is the people who are willing to do a job for 
free, you know, like, and, and it's, uh, you're keeping a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. for, uh, like, for instance, uh, you know, if I ever wanted to run for the legislature, I couldn't because I have to keep my family in the lifestyle they're accustomed to. Mm -hmm. And the per diem in the legislature does mm -hmm. not, you know, would not cover that. Mm -hmm. But like, there are plenty of great ideas, plenty of brilliant people out there who could absolutely help us turn this ship around. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not going to do it for free because they know their worth. That's right. I think it's an excellent point. We'll come back and touch on that, how this could possibly work in a part-time legislature. Uh, Andy, interestingly, a quote from Senator Brandt, quote, I'm trying to be careful about what I've seen in other states that have done term limits, where if the term limit is too short, the bureaucrats end up running everything. I would agree with him. Continuing the quote, the quote and not the elected officials. So I was trying to figure out how to strike that balance. I'm going back to TJ's thought. Is that balance having... 18 years in a row? That's a long time to be in office. And the same issues about incumbency still hold, it would seem to me, for, th for those three terms, right? I mean, yeah, I think it's important to point out that Craig Brandt is uh, starting his 10th year in the legislature right, right at this point, right? <laughs> um, and that's not that's not a knock on, on anybody, uh, specifically him, but just that, you know, there's this... There, constituents the, want him there. <clears throat> right. So there's the an idea of, of, yeah. of, you know, fresh blood in there. On the other hand, it's it's starting from scratch, yeah. right? Um, when you, um, you you try to get somebody new in there, how do you get leadership roles, right? right. I mean, uh, uh, again, going to Senator Brandt, he's in a leadership role after right. so many years in there, and that's sort of how you naturally expect that to happen. So, um, I think that's the other side of this argument is, you know, how do you create this sort of institutional knowledge when it's reset every? Right. I mean, I guess it would be more than just six years because you're talking about you know two or three terms, right? That's but right. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I think it's. Again, it's going to be something that's going to come up again. I don't see it um, making it very far this year, especially without sort of professionalizing the legislature. That's right. That's right. Speaking of which, to Rebecca, Rebecca's point, TJ Trout, if lengthening the session, does that make this more palatable? If we're at a six-month scheme, a full-time scheme, or... I think I hate you know. about politics mm -hmm. and national politics and state politics, especially with two-year terms, is everybody, these people are always perpetually running yep, for office enough. and that's all That's all they're concerned about. Right. It, 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 it drives me nuts, especially on a national level in the House of Representatives. That's just, that's just crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but what, to, to your point, um, the, the, the thing about that, I don't think you're going to have like a complete turnover of the legislature. Like everybody is not going to, to term out at the same time. Right. So I think what we're going to see is we're still going to have leaders in power. Not everybody just, all right, you're all gone. So we got a bunch of newbies coming in. Mm -hmm. And so you all got to learn the ropes at the same time. I don't think, I don't think that would probably happen. Mm -hmm. uh, Rebecca, I agree with you, though, about uh, uh, paying people. I think it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. I think these. Uh, I think we need to have. Uh, there's too many problems in this state to have part-time people out there. Mm -hmm. And let's get some new. Let's get some new blood in there. Meaning educators. You want to. You want to be a legislator. Let's have teachers be legislators and be able to afford to do that. Artists. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh God forbid. I yeah. Know. <laughs> Come on. And artists. Let's go back to where we started with that common cause uh, uh, poll. The public's way ahead of, it seems like, our legislature. The public wants this, guys. I mean, you're talking 70% support longer sessions. 46% of that was strongly support. Uh, the numbers were at 64 want paid. It just, it's not even close, Rebecca. The public wants this now. Are we just that far behind? I think we are that far behind. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we have to treat the legislature with the professionalism that we expect from members of the legislature. The fact that they 
that they don't have staff members, that they're relying on lobbyists to Thank vet you. bills and, and help them figure out what their position is. Like, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we need to, they, they deserve it. Um, I, I think we, we 100% need to extend the session, at least look at 60 days every year, because as long as there are bills trying to designate a state scent, there will be important bills that never make it down the road. Every memorial, every unfunded mandate, every smell, every song, every time a legislator sings happy birthday, like every single thing. If we're gonna keep doing that, then they gotta give themselves 60 days every year. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, Predictions on where you think this might land a lot of committees to get through, certainly. Uh, term limits part? <laughs> term limits, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that it's going to get all that far. I think yeah. that uh, um, it's you see this a lot in different different areas of the legislature, but they're mm-hmm. essentially you know voting on 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 their their own job, right? right. And I think <laughs> um, that would yeah. take a. Does it does it make the job more or less attractive to know you're term limited out, Teach? I mean, does it, he Craig Brandt says it'll make for better legislators. I, I mean, are, would that be attractive to a different cut of? Person? I think 18, 18 years is a long time. It's a, like yeah. I said, it's a generational time. I, I think you could uh, you could amass enough uh, power if that's what you're after, enough notoriety, and in 18 years, if you can't get something done worthwhile, then you got a real problem. Point, yeah. and, and then again, you, you, you also have the opportunity to be voted out every six years. That's a good point. It in- all comes down to that. Instead of term limits, because then you've got lame ducks at the end, instead of term limits, make the job more appealing. Let the constituents decide when your term should be up. Love that as a final word. Thanks again to our line panel as always this week. Be sure to let us know what you think about any of the topics the line covered on our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages. And catch any episode you may have missed on the PBS app on your Roku or Smart TV. Thank you to Gene, our panelists, and everyone else who contributed to the podcast this week. Stay with New Mexico and Focus during the week on our social media pages. That's Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'll be posting updates leading up to the show on Friday night. And of course, don't miss that show, Friday nights at 7 o'clock on NMPBS. Thanks again, everyone. I'm senior producer Lou DeVizio for Monday, January 30th, 2023. This is New Mexico in Focus, the podcast. Have a great week, everyone.